You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Yesterday's antitrust hearings in the U.S. House of Representatives focus on big tech's big data as something open to use in restraint of trade. And there are questions about community standards as well. The boothole vulnerability may not represent an emergency, but it will be tough to fix. Android malware masquerades as COVID-19 contact tracers. The FBI warns against NetWalker ransomware. China says it didn't hack the Vatican. Justin Harvey from Accenture demystifies red teaming. Our guest is Christopher Alberg from Recorded Future on trends in threat intelligence. And somebody's spoofing a British MP. He's looking at you, People's Liberation Army. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, July 30th, 2020. Amazon, Apple, Google, and Facebook completed by WebEx yesterday's testimony before the U.S. House Judiciary Committee's Antitrust Subcommittee. Bezos, Cook, Pichai, and Zuckerberg hewed to foreseeable lines during the testimony. The Telegraph thought they emerged unharmed. But observers thought the congressional inquisitors generally well-prepared. The House subcommittee was interested in both anti-competitive practices and the roles the platforms have assumed in moderating content and influencing elections. The Wall Street Journal sees the central issue raised in the session as the economic and social power Big data analytics have enabled big tech to concentrate. The chief's answers to both questions about alleged anti-competitive practices were to disclaim any attempt to use data they collect on their customers or partners to favor their own business at the expense of those customers or partners. They also said it wasn't their practice to acquire potential or actual competitors to clear the field for their own products or services. Two questions about content moderation, with Democrats seeming mildly in favor of more of it, Republicans decidedly wanting less of it. The executives gave mixed responses that expressed an interest in enabling the free sharing of ideas, feelings, and experiences, but within the limits of safety and unspecified community standards. The representatives seemed well-briefed, equipped with news reports, corporate email exchanges, and stories from disgruntled competitors and customers. In fairness to big tech, the questions they were asked were sometimes complex, presumed that those testifying would have sufficient amount of detail at their fingertips, and were in most cases tenditious. They had the character of a cross-examination whose purpose isn't to elicit new information, but rather to get things you already think you know into the record. 
The answers stayed as close as possible to the statements the companies came in wishing to make. At several points, those testifying promised to return responses once they had the opportunity to check the information on which their answers would depend. Those follow-ups will cover specific cases of alleged anti-competitive practices, details on the composition of their fact-checking and other content moderation staffs, their use of data analytics and the specifics of content moderation policies or community standards in force at their companies. Two things seem likely, at least to our editorial staff who listened to the hearing. First, it will be difficult for online services to hang on to Section 230 immunities they currently enjoy while they exercise more gatekeeping with respect to content. The role of publisher and neutral public square are likely to prove ultimately incompatible. And second, big tech's antitrust problems are unlikely to go away. And as investigators continue to examine tech companies as incipient monopolies, those companies' access to and use of massive quantities of data will be the entering wedge of antitrust action. Eclipsium has found a vulnerability boot hole that affects the Grub2 bootloader used by most Linux systems. It could be exploited to gain the ability to execute arbitrary code even when secure boot is enabled. An attacker would need either administrative privileges or physical access to a device to infect it, however, which, as Ars Technica points out, if the attacker has those, you've got a lot of other problems to worry about. So, while Boot Hole is a widespread vulnerability, it's not a terrifying one and has earned a rating of moderate severity. But, as Ars Technica adds, not scary isn't synonymous with not serious, and Boot Hole is something that should be dealt with. Fixing it won't be simple. Eclipsium has an account of the various steps vendors will need to provide for their users before this particular hole can be patched. Eclectic IQ and its partners at Threat Fabric report that malicious Android packages have been found presenting themselves as legitimate, government-backed COVID-19 contact tracing apps. According to Bleeping Computer, the FBI has issued a warning that NetWalker ransomware is being deployed against government agencies, both in the U.S. and internationally. NetWalker has specialized in exploiting vulnerable VPN appliances, web apps user interfaces, and weak remote desktop protocol passwords as its methods of gaining access to victims' networks. The Bureau said, quote, Two of the most common vulnerabilities exploited by actors using NetWalker are Pulse Secure VPN, CVE 2019-11510, and Telerik UI, CVE 2019-18935. The FBI discourages any victims from paying the ransom, and it recommends that organizations adopt familiar measures of sound digital hygiene to protect themselves from infection in the first place. China says it's always been firmly opposed to cyber espionage and that anyone who thinks Beijing hacked the Vatican, like, for instance, Recorded Future, whose report on Chinese operations has been widely cited, needs to put up or shut up, Global News reports. Give them specific evidence, says the foreign ministry. It seems unlikely that Beijing would find any evidence adequate in either quantity or quality. The Holy See itself has declined to comment on the reports. And speaking of recorded future, the CyberWire's chief analyst and chief security officer Rick Howard checked in with Recorded Future's CEO Christopher Allberg for his insights on the latest trends in threat intelligence. 
It actually, over time, has gone from open source data exclusively to down to sort of the, the electrons of the internet and trying to put all of that together. And that's been the sort of, we call that our security intelligence graph that we connect all those dots. And that's been the sort of the really exciting journey in all of this. So the point of all that is you're trying to forecast uh, where the next attacks are coming. Is that the main function of the, the service? I, I would say that that's one element, you know, and we have some pretty incredible uh, success stories of that. But, you know, it can be sometimes uh, where, when it's sort of, uh, you know, when, when you're able to sort of see something ahead of uh, around the corner. Uh, but then it can also just be where you're detecting something totally outside in. We had a really cool success here in the spring where uh, this, this uh, we'll just call it European Energy Organization, had been for a month leaking uh, email data to to um, a sophisticated actor, and we were able to observe that completely outside in, and not just sort of do intelligence around it, but find the incident, and it blew people away that we were able to do it, and it was sort of connecting six layers through that security intelligence graph. So I think sometimes it's about forecasting, but it can just as well about being able to sort of help people understand things that are ongoing or make it easier to, to do incident response. So it sort of can be across that spectrum. So can you uh, talk about at a high level, I don't want you to give any secrets away, but how do you take this vast amount of unstructured data and turn it into something useful? Is there techniques that you can describe that people can use in their own organizations or um, any tips or tricks you can hand over to us? Yeah, no, I think, you know, look, you take a big step back and think about like, if you have a lot of data, so we use the Bloomberg analogy, you can use you know, whether it's sort of a sales dashboard analogy, whatever sort of thing, understand the problem you're trying to solve. And I think you were getting that before. You know, don't just collect data for the sake of collecting data, even though sometimes it's pretty enticing to do that. We have plenty of that <laughs> to be yeah. self. Uh, we, there's a, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of people just collecting large, large, giant lakes of data and they don't really know what to do with it. Yeah, which, you know, to be honest, you have to do some of that. I'm sort of a huge believer that as we collect all this data, you need to apply analytics. I think analytics is the word that I come back to. It's it's more than just simple data analysis and doing roll-ups and sums and minuses, and even though the simple is sometimes underrated. But but the key is trying to understand analytically, what are you trying to do? That's the it's it's really is the, the secret that most people forget about. And that will inform you what sort of dashboards do you need to build, what sort of analysis do you need to do. What sort of automated correlations do you need to provide for? Understand the problem and be disciplined about that so that when you then don't, if you don't succeed, you can tune the analytics, tune what data you need to add, tune whatever you're doing. So you really think about it as an analytical process. And, and actually, I think a lot of people learned in the intelligence community can be put to work here, but it needs to be more data driven. And, and uh, people are not thinking enough about that. That's the CyberWire's Rick Howard speaking with Recorded Future CEO Christopher Alberg. And finally, whatever China might have been up to in the Vatican and the Hong Kong diocese, and candidly, it looks like it was up to no good, there are other allegations of the Chinese services undertaking some active cyber measures against an out-of-favor foreigner. Conservative member of the British Parliament, Tom Tugendhat, who chairs the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, and has been critical of China, says he's been the victim of an email spoofing campaign in which Chinese operators send embarrassing emails and other communications from bogus accounts that purport to be his. The Express says that Mr. Tugendhat realized the campaign was in progress when a reporter asked him about a press release he'd issued. 
Only in fact, he hadn't issued it and was quite in the dark about it. No doubt, China's foreign ministry would like to see the evidence here, too. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He is the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, always great to have you back. Um, I wanted to check in with you and get your take on red teaming. And just uh, start with some basics. How do you define it? Uh, and how does it work within uh, the organizations that you uh, work with? Well, red teaming is a concept where you take uh, humans and you make them act like an adversary toward an objective. And the, that objective or those objectives that you define, uh, there are multiple ways to accomplish them. You can do them through social engineering. You can do them through direct system and network exploits. Uh, and of course, there's always a set of rules of engagement around a red team operation uh, that should be discussed ahead of time. Can outside tools be used like zero days? Um, <clears throat> there's also uh, the behavior of the red team. Should you simulate being a nation state uh, in an enterprise when nation states typically aren't targeting you? So you, you want to you wanna right size that red team engagement um, there has been a lot of talk uh, these days about um, automating red teaming, and I think that uh, you know I'm a, I'm I'm a little bit of the of opinion here that until uh, we can have a system that really mimics the thought process of humans, then we're we're likely not to see 
uh, an effective uh, automation of red teaming because red teaming really requires the team to sit there and think about, okay, how are we going to accomplish the mission just like you were, just like a, a normal adversary would, and then, of course, simulate it in an environment. Um, there are ways out there to automate a lot of um, persistence, vulnerability checking, persistent uh, network scanning, uh, but I would never consider them part of a, a red team uh, engagement. But when you're out there looking for someone to be a red teamer, you know, you're interviewing somebody or, or something like that, what are the attributes you look for? What makes a good red teamer? Uh, I would say one of those attributes would be cleverness, the ability to think outside the box and uh, and be able to to look at a problem in a different way. If you need to get access to a system, uh, and let's say it's a it's a pretty tight system. Well, then you're going to think, well, how do I get in? If I can't do a direct network or system exploit, I don't have access to the system. How do I do it? And you want to you want to watch your candidates or your red teamers' thought process to say, okay, how do I get in? Well, I, I can't get on via the network or the system. Well, how about if I get on via an administrator? Or what is the what sort of communications are going in and out of that box and examining the network activity and maybe compromising a neighbor? And then using that neighbor. So I think number one, maybe, and, and these are in no particular order, Dave. I'd say one of mm-hmm. them is being clever. And I think another one is being a geek, being uh, someone <laughs> who is technically proficient and right. that just loves breaking into systems. Uh, you know, and I could say the same is true for incident response and all of the other disciplines uh, that we have in cyber defense, Dave. And that is you've got to be passionate about what you do. And that passion also has to be uh, channeled into technical acumen. So uh, red teaming, just like incident response, requires a, a, a pretty high degree of technical sophistication, being able to write scripts, being able to uh, look at um, executables or network traffic, and being able to string a few of these together. Uh, and then I would say the third one would be knowledge of the the library of attacks that are available out there. And I use the the library like a capital L. There are so many exploits and procedures and tactics and techniques and and there's probably 10 times that many uh, open source areas that you can go to to find those tools. So knowing what tools are out there knowing the systems you're attacking and then being able to find the right tool for the job. And then, of course, being up on up on the leading edge. Some of the most successful red teamers at Accenture are always looking at the news and looking at open source intelligence and saying, oh, wow, there's this new type of exploit that this other red team did over here. I bet you I could grab that code and apply it to this other situation here. So I would say those are the those are the main three things that, that I look for in, in red teamers. All right. Well, Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, 
Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.